Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. As we continue with our series, The Next Million, the series airs every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 p.m. The series has been looking at Metro Vancouver through the lens of another million people living here. Our population is presently 2.8 million people, and it's expected to hit 3.8 million by 2050. How do we accommodate these new residents, and how do we work, live, and play in a region with a million more people? Today, we're going to look at energy. Now, energy powers Metro Vancouver's economy and its citizens' daily lives, but almost three-quarters of the energy used in the city to heat and cool homes, power vehicles, run buildings, and operate industry comes from fossil fuels, primarily gasoline, diesel, and natural gas. And it's these fossil fuels that are responsible for most of Metro Vancouver's greenhouse gas emissions. Now, the regional government's goal is to have Metro Vancouver run 100% on clean energy by 2050 to achieve the target of emission-free energy and eliminate 90% of the region's overall emissions, the regions need to shift away from fossil fuels to clean electricity, low-carbon hydrogen, and biofuels. And of course, that transition is is part of the challenge that we are all seeing uh, before us today. Joining me now to talk a little bit about powering Metro Vancouver in 2050 and the rest of the province as well is Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief, and Vaughn Palmer, the Vancouver Sun's uh, political columnist. Keith, Vaughn, welcome. Um, Good to talk to you again, Jazz. Hi, Keith. Yeah, good chat with both of you. I know both of you follow the energy file very closely, whether it's uh, hydro, LNG, oil pipeline. So I think you'd be both uh, be, be able to provide us a bit of a political lens to all of this as well. Vaughn, let me start with you first and foremost. Is Site C, and we're not complete Site C, Site C is not complete yet, but do you see it as the last major hydroelectric project in BC to be built in the future? I mean, these projects are expensive, but is this the last one we'll probably build in this province? Yeah, I think. Everybody sort of accepts that. There are other possibilities. Uh, you go back through the history record. At one point, they were talking about damming the Fraser River, uh, the Stikine, the Iskut. Uh, there are other there's there's there are other projects that might happen. For example, you could do some expansion on the existing uh, hydroelectric network on the Columbia River or the Peace. But really, practically. This is it. This is the last big dam, and, you know, (laughs) it's gone through an interesting lifetime in our political lives, uh, Jazz, because I remember when, you know, the government of the day was in opposition, they argued it wasn't even needed. Now, they can hardly wait for the electricity to start flowing in 2024 and 2025. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, Keith, uh, I believe once Site C is up, as Vaughn says, I think it's about 450,000 homes that it can power, but we're growing significantly. Uh, I was looking at some numbers today. Zero emission vehicles represent about 18% of new light duty passenger vehicles sold in BC in 2022. We've gone from about 5,000 electric vehicles in 2016 in this province to more than 100,000 today. That's a 1,900% increase in the past six years. Uh, where do we go from here? If Site C is the last hydroelectric dam, where, where, where should we be looking? What's next? Well, Hydro has a, is going to put out a call for more electricity uh, in the spring for 3,000 gigawatt hours, which would uh, electrify 270,000 homes. 
So right now, even with Site C online, hydro is expected to be in an energy deficit by the year 2030 unless they can find more power. So Rick McCandless, who's a former assistant deputy minister over here in Victoria, who has intervener status at the Utilities Commission, so he's an expert on these types of things, just published a paper. He's got his hands on some hydro uh, documents that suggest this power call is going to be almost exclusively for wind farms, wind power, uh, not nothing to do with hydro. Uh, this is going to be wind. It's going to be um, expensive. He estimates five to five to eight billion dollars uh, to build these wind turbines, largely in the northeast part of BC. Uh, if you recall, the Campbell government last power call 15 years ago focused on ru- small run of river projects, small hydro projects. But this one is going to be wind, and it's also going to be done in partnership with First Nations. Um, but we'll see if that can actually materialize. The wind, the wind farm uh, industry in Europe has sort of cratered from time to time the last few years. It seems to be getting back on its feet, but it's had enormous problems on the capital side. Um, and then you've got uh, things like local opposition. Washington State, just across the border in Washington State, there's a wind farm down there that's quite large because mm-hmm. Washington's also trying to electrify their state. It's met tremendous opposition from the local residents because wind farms are these big, ugly, noisy things uh, that can blight a landscape. So this is no easy fix here, but uh, make no mistake, the need for more electricity is paramount. And, and Vaughn's right, I agree with him. No more hydro, uh, big hydro uh, dams. They're going to have to go wind and probably to a lesser degree solar. Mm-hmm. Um, Vaughn, I recall having the mayor of uh, Nanaimo, Leonard Krogh, uh, on the show a few months ago, and uh, he was almost apologetic. I think their council had banned uh, future natural gas expansion in their community. Uh, and he was actually very practical in going, look, this is not going away anytime soon. And, you know, City Hall banning natural gas in the future is, is kind of silly, but, you know, he, he went along with it. He was, he was not part of the majority. Uh, in the Metro Vancouver region, we're having the same conversation. Uh, Malcolm Brody was on here. Fortis is trying to fight that. Um, do you see a natural gas ban coming uh, in, in, in some of our larger uh, communities like Metro Vancouver, Victoria, natural ca- the capital region? I mean, is this coming in your mind? Well, I, I can talk about it. <laughs> I don't think it, I don't think it's practical because you know the the what we just talked about no more hydro uh yes a scramble for wind farms and solar maybe some geothermal here mm-hmm. British Columbians are never going to let the idea of nuclear power cross their mind so that's out mm-hmm. uh so you're going to go where are you getting all the electricity jazz we had a window into the thinking inside the government today with a leaked memo from the energy minister. And what she says in there, Josie Osborne, is we got a problem, which is there is more demands already on BC Hydro than, than are manageable for their electricity. Because electric vehicles, uh, moving industry away from natural gas to electricity, the new uh, lithium battery plant that they're talking about in Maple Ridge, they want to electrify it. Hydrogen plants in the Northeast, they want to electrify them. Second phase of LNG in Kitimat, they want to electrify it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times, Jazz, they've already committed the power from Site C, but my guess is probably three or four times over already. So, you know, any plan you have, uh, whether it's a new industry or converting an old one or converting a house, Where's the electricity going to come from? Uh, I think we are up against a huge problem of 
way too many demands for the electricity than we're going to be able to generate, at least in the short to medium term. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you're just joining us, we are speaking to Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry and Vancouver Sun's political columnist, uh, columnist uh, Von Palmer. We're talking about the next million. And in this case, we're looking at powering Metro Vancouver. Where will our energy come from? Clean energy at the end of the day. Uh, let's go to our open line. Uh, let's go to uh, Gurdeep and Suri. Hi, Gurdeep. Hi, Jazz, and uh, hello to Keith and Vaughn. You know, it's a great commentary and really enjoy your show. You know, uh, just uh, looking at uh, the proposed uh, density increases uh, in terms of multiplexes and upzoning across the province, uh, you know, already right now, I think, you know, many municipalities and privately, you know, hydro is, is, is uh, you know, thinking that, you know, it's going to be an issue providing the power for, you know, all those units on these single-family lots. So uh, my question is, what is preventing the government from, you know, amending the BC Building Code to make it mandatory to put solar panels on every single building, whether it's residential, industrial, or commercial? Gurdip, thank you for your call. Keith, uh, I mean, uh, what do you think of that? What if we did make, you know, every new home that's built or new building put up, you know, it's mandatory, you have to have solar on there? Well, solar works in some communities much better than it does in others. BC's, uh, you know, much of us is a dense rainforest where the sun isn't out a lot. Uh, you know, maybe it works better in White Rock, which is a sort of part of the Sun Belt or here in South Vancouver Island. But I don't think you're going to see necessarily the North Shore in the shadow of the of the North Shore Mountains, which gets a disproportionate high number of rains and cloudy days that necessarily have solar work to the same efficiency. But make no mistake, I think things like the code question of requiring uh, energy-related measures is going to be part of the the new normal going forward. It might not happen next year or the year after, but this is an ongoing challenge where the electricity issue, the energy issue, is not going to be solved in 10 years. It's a constantly evolving file now, and it's uh, it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more of a challenge. So creative solutions have to be be found. So, yeah, don't discount this, but I don't think it's uh, the one-size-fits-all type of uh, response. Vaughn, Gurdip has raised, though, a very good issue, which Mm -hmm. is the expansion, the density that we're talking about adding, Mm -hmm. and everybody having electrical vehicles and wanting to charge them at home and getting off natural gas and going to electrical heat is going to put enormous strain on the residential grid, local transmission lines, Mm -hmm. carrying capacity in condominium buildings. And I think you are going to have to have, you're going to have to do all of that. You're going to have to upgrade the grid. You're going to have to put in a lot more carrying capacity. Uh, You're going to have to encourage as much solar uh, as you can. 
uh, I, as I said, I just think you're going to have to do all of it because the amount of stress on the local systems from just everybody getting an electric car is going to be enormous. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to uh, Josh in Vancouver. Hi, Josh. Hey, Jazz. I, I hate to be pessimistic, but, you know, in my 30-something year lifetime, I've seen pretty much no change, really. I mean, our cars are better on fuel now. But as far as, like, power generation is concerned here, you know, there was a little bit of talk about getting energy from food waste, which is super cool, but really doesn't seem like they've done anything. So I just feel like to, to think that in the next 20 years, all of these targets are going to be accomplished and we're going to be banning natural gas and all these things, like, their heads are in the clouds. And ultimately, I feel like it may just lead to continuous political shift you know the party who says okay we're not going to do that i think people will start just leaning that way and it doesn't seem like anything really significant is ever going to get done here josh thank you for your call i think you probably you raised a really good point because in regards to a party thinking differently yesterday the bc conservatives did just that in regards to their environmental policy i think it's a good 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 uh, uh good point to talk a little bit about the other issue which is carbon tax now it doesn't specifically talk about any particular bit of energy it's about us making a shift away from fossil fuels. Vaughn, let me go to you. Um, you know, we've often talked about carbon tax and revenue neutrality, and it's there to change behavior. Your sense of things, I'd love to hear your sense of things when it comes to the carbon tax. Is Has it played out? Is it a question of us moving too quickly in regards to raising it every single year to the point where the public are tired? Or do you think we need to rethink the carbon tax compared to what, when, when it started in 2008 and where it's at today? There is a lot of fatigue out there, financial fatigue. I think it's fascinating what's happened with the carbon tax, Jazz. I would have said after, you know, the big showdown and uh, the 2009 election, uh, the Liberals brought in a tax, the New Democrats opposed it, the New Democrats lost the election. It faded. I would have thought it was a closed issue. British mm-hmm. Columbians, carbon taxes, British Columbians are fine with them. They're comfortable with them. It's going up in small increments. And instead, we have got a major political issue out of something that seem to be dead politically, and I think it's going to be a major issue in the next provincial election. Mm -hmm. Uh, Public, and that's true across the country because of what's happened. I think we all recognize it's related to the way the cost of living has become such a big deal. Uh, Taxes have become a big deal, and an awful lot of people are going, why are we paying this carbon tax Uh, when we're paying more than anybody else. Yeah. Uh, Keith, I I guess the core question with what Vaughn is saying is, is carbon tax actually changing behavior? And I'm not sure if the other side that supports it can fundamentally say, yes, it is, even though we are selling more EVs, even though uh, if you look at the U.S. sales, they're slowing down. They're actually still growing, but they're slowing down in regards to how fast that pace was, right? You, you know what a skeptic I am when it comes to meeting these EV targets. I just, I just don't see it. I just don't think uh, the demand is going to be there because people just simply can't afford it, but we'll see. Uh, in terms of the carbon tax, I've been saying all along, and I totally agree with Vaughn, once the cost of living became an issue front and center for people, the carbon tax turned into a different thing. And that's why you're seeing uh, parties of all stripes talking about modifying it or reducing it. Um, interesting, back to Josie Osborne's memo today, mm-hmm. uh, which she says were notes that she took from someone else uh, advising her, talked about potentially the need for uh, a, a rebate tied to the carbon tax and a potential freeze on hydro rates. And she acknowledged the government is thinking about this. David Eby on the weekend of the NDP convention doubled down on the carbon tax. We're not, you know, this is an important part of our our uh, approach to fighting climate change. Today, the energy minister acknowledged doing something to the carbon tax, not getting rid of it, 
maybe just not increasing it or, or increasing the rebates or freezing hydro rates is suddenly now officially on the table. That wasn't the case publicly, at least until today. Keith Vaughn, thank you for your time as always. All right, take care. Pleasure, Jazz. Bye, Keith.